Hey, I'm David Crabtree, lead pastor at Calvary Church. Welcome to our podcast. I hope you'll find something every week that inspires you to dig deeply into God's Word and reach for the unmet potentials that lie within you. You can subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen and never miss an update. Hope you enjoy the message. Friends, it's just great to come back to you tonight for another Bible study in the book of Judges. Uh, Here we are on calvarytriad.tv, and this is a whole new way of doing business, but we're making some tracks. So I really miss being with you. Let me tell you, Sunday for me was tough. I, uh, I sat and watched the service and so enjoyed the praise and worship, and I endured listening to myself preach again. Not an easy thing to do. I walked through that entire process, and I thought, oh, Lord, please help us. I'm getting tired of this. Even more so, I'm concerned for people who are at risk. I think about people who are fighting this disease, people who are afraid of the disease, what it's doing to our economy, what's happening for, uh, for people who worship with us here at Calvary, how they're being impacted. Well, we're trying to keep in touch with everyone, and we're trying to make sure that we're there for people. It's, it's just a whole new world. It's a whole new environment for us all. Never been through it before. I hope we never go through it again. But we do have this opportunity to gather together tonight around the Scripture and walk a little bit further into the book of Judges. So let's look to the Lord together, and then we'll start. Father, use us, I pray, Heavenly Father, tonight uh, to minister to one another. May our prayer lives, Lord, uh, be strengthened in this time to where when we pray, we see things happen. I pray, Lord, for the church extended now to, well, we're just extended to a breaking point in so many ways. We thank you, Lord, that you've put us in this position right now to trust you absolutely. There's something good about being in a place where you are our hope and you are our strength alone. And so tonight, Lord, we put that hope, that trust and faith in you once again, and we ask you to open our understanding as we walk through the book of Judges, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be looking at the 15th chapter of Judges, so I want you to turn there and be ready with me. We're going to be looking at several verses tonight. I want to warn you at the outset that in this 15th chapter of Judges, the third week now in the story of Samson, there is nothing in this teaching tonight that will cause you to really want to praise the Lord a whole lot, Uh, nor will you gain, I think, any respect whatsoever for, for Samson. He is a totally unsympathetic character in the Scripture. He's a product of his times. He's a product of his own people. Gone are the early judges who had a sense of divine calling. They had a sense of righteousness. God is now using, as we have followed judges and we keep going further and further down the road of depravity in the nation of Israel, as we follow these judges, we've now come to the place where God is using people who are deeply, deeply flawed, people who seem to have no moral core. God is using them like blunt instruments in his hand according to his own inscrutable timing and purpose. He's God. He has a right to do things how he will do things. And we don't always see what he's doing and how it all works when it's happening. But we have to trust him absolutely. And as we look back now, we see how he was preserving the house of Israel that would eventually evolve into the house of David, that would eventually give way to Messiah. We see how he's working, but If you just read Samson apart from all of that, you just read his story, you're left scratching your head saying, God, what are you doing with characters like this? 
this ongoing storyline is one of vengeance, anger, lust, violence. And as much as we would like to claim that God is kind of absent from all of this, he sends his Holy Spirit upon Samson at times and in places to strike a blow. All of this is happening within God's plan to preserve his people Israel that the promises of Abraham will be fully borne out. The problem we have in Judges is that we tend to see a God whose ways are kind of like our ways. He's taking vengeance here at times, and he is a God of vengeance, and he has a right to vengeance, but I think we've dressed God up uh, so, many so many ways in, in these years. We have sanitized him so much. We've made him the big huggy God. We've made him a God the Bible doesn't really reveal that when we see him moving in these displays of power and when we see him moving in ways that don't seem to jive with our sense of grace and nice and calm and peaceful, it, it upsets us a little bit. It disturbs us. But that's Judges. It's a very, very disturbing book. If you've been with us from the beginning, you know that. Now, Samson's recent wedding, his marriage to a woman at Timnah, a Philistine living in the borderland between the tribe of Dan, which is his tribe, between the tribe of Dan and the Philistines, this uh, marriage, which is an inappropriate marriage, it's disqualified by the law, but it was wanted, it was desired by Samson. This wedding to the woman at Timnah turns out to be an unmitigated disaster. In a study of human suffering, I've often wondered where the suffering caused by bad marriages falls in comparison to the calamities and, and the trouble that comes from sickness and war. Certainly, broken marriage is a quieter calamity, but it does generational damage. It feeds all sorts of sinful behavior. It's a calamity none the, nonetheless. And Samson enters into a disastrous, a disastrous marriage covenant. In the run-up to the marriage, Samson shows himself being void of any respect for the law, because he eats honey from the carcass of a slain lion, even though he slew the lion, he eats this honey from the carcass of a lion, making himself unclean. He freely shares it with his parents, who seem to be far more orthodox than he is, knowing that he's making them unclean. They're not understanding really what's going on in all of this. He reveals himself to be a rather lawless creature. He's entering into a union that is not approved by God, he gets himself into a foolish conflict with 30 Philistine groomsmen, a conflict that results in Samson going down to Ashkelon and slaying 30 Philistines for their clothing to pay his gambling debt at the wedding, uh, to the wedding party. The story also here reveals to us the Achilles heel of Samson in his moral makeup. Here, he succumbs to the nagging of the betrothed. Last week, we looked at it. The girl comes to Samson because she's put under pressure by these 30 groomsmen that, that Samson's surrounded by. You know, he made, the, he made the bet with them. You figure out my riddle. If you figure it out, I'll give each of you a set of clothing. But 
if you can't figure it out, then you're all going to give me a, a set of clothing. They didn't want to give up a set of clothing, the cost, they, they didn't want to bear the cost. And so they started putting pressure on this bride-to-be of Samson saying, find out what the riddle is. Of course, eventually she finds out what it is by nagging Samson until, until he tells her. And Samson ends up then going out and killing 30 Philistines for the clothing that will pay off his side of the debt. It's an awful story. Well, Samson succumbs to the browbeating, to the nagging of his wife-to-be here. Later, at the end of the story, another Philistine girl named Delilah will play the exact same role, except without the backdrop of a wedding. Samson is an arrogant fool feeding his own appetites. He would have sung harmony with Woody Allen, who once defended his own immoral behavior with this statement, the heart wants what it wants. There you have Samson. There you have Samson. Judges 15, let's pick up now. That kind of is the backstory. so let's pick up and move into the scripture together. Starting at verse one. After some days, at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. And he said, I will go into my wife in the chamber. But her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought you utterly hated her, so I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, This time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. So Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took torches And he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stacked grain and the standing grain, as well as the olive orchards. Then the Philistines Philistines said, who has done this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he had taken his wife and given her to to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. And Samson said to them, If this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you, and after that I will quit. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow, went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock at Etam. We don't know how much time passed after Samson's disastrous marriage. But Samson's temper cooled down and he finally journeyed to visit his new wife, thinking her to be his new wife. To his mind, the marriage had been fully accomplished and he can now move forward. So he shows up around the time of the harvest. He shows up with a young goat, which is a gift to the family. When he arrives, he asserts his right to meet with her privately. Let me go into my wife in her room or in her chambers. And we know from the narrator's earlier comments She had already been given to another. Samson is about to find out that it's not easy to erase the past and just pick up from where you left off. I see this, by the way, I see this all the time. He or she doesn't appreciate the damage that has been done in a marriage, and the appeal for somewhat of a blanket absolution and a new beginning sounds so rational. I hear people from time to time, they'll just say, Pastor, we just want to put it all behind us and have a fresh start. And I understand that. 
But our forgiveness is not supernatural. Our blood does not wash away anybody's sin. Even when we say the right words and we cry a bucket of tears and we want the same things, the damage remains. It is never simple. It is never a simple thing to undo the past or even to forget it. We mustn't take lightly the damage that sin inflicts, even when sincere forgiveness on our part is offered. Well, Samson's Philistine father-in-law interpreted Samson's violent actions towards his countrymen around the time of the wedding as absolute hatred or disdain for his own daughter, and so he gave her away. Not wanting to loose the monster in Samson, realizing now that he's in desperate shape, what does he do? He says, her younger sister's better looking. Why don't I just substitute? Why don't I just give you the younger sister? Well, this is unacceptable to Samson, and this point of conflict sets in motion the next blow to the Philistines. The first was the blood of 30 men at the wedding time. This blow now will, again, inspire a massacre, but not before delivering a massive blow to the Philistine economy. Samson, with the use of the foxes, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but Samson burns their fields he takes a great big chunk out of their economy. We can certainly understand the devastation that that can cause. Where right now in America, one of our greatest concerns is what's happening to our economy, what is going to happen to our economy. Well, it was a little bit more black and white in Samson's day. Samson set fire to their fields, and the people just, all of the riches that they were expecting from the harvest, all of the substance and sustenance that they were expecting from the harvest, now it's, it's just gone. It's just gone. From a point of riches, they have been impoverished somewhat. Their economy is in trouble. Webb, whose excellent commentary on Judges is one of the texts I'm drawing from, makes an interesting aside here in reference to the foxes. He says, for a second time, we see Samson associating with animals and demonstrating mastery over them. In chapter 14, verse 6, it was a lion. Here, it's the foxes. In verses 15 through 17, it will be the jawbone of a donkey. It's part of the sustained depiction of Samson as a warrior and a wild man, but also, also as an Adam gone wrong, whose mastery of animals is violent, and exploitative rather than responsible and in the service of war rather than peace. Remember with Adam, he names all of the animals. There is a, there is a peaceful coexistence there. Samson comes along and he uses the animals. He uses them for his own purposes. Now critics often attack this story of the foxes and the torches as some fantastical legend uh, by the way, some argue that it wasn't foxes. Actually, it should be interpreted jackals. It really doesn't make any difference. Samson uses them as four-legged arsonists against the Philistines. Some suggest this has got to be legend. But if God is supernaturally involved here, if God is supernaturally using Samson, if God is literally by his own power flooding this man's frame, his muscles, and, and all of his abilities with his ability to go and do war, it's a short leap for us to believe that God, by his own, by his own power, can make exactly what happens in the scripture reality. 
For instance, Noah, if we look in the Old Testament, Noah gathered an entire population of the animal kingdom into the ark. No one suggests that this was possible in the natural. Understand, when we see supernatural miracles taking place in the Old Testament, those miracles open the door for all of the things that cause skeptics to scratch their head and and doubt about. For instance, Jonah and the whale. Man, that one gets absolutely worn out. Bottom line for me is that if God is a God of miracles, then everything I read in the Old Testament that seems fantastical to me, is it too difficult for God? I have to to really just sit down and put all of this aside, understanding that if I have faith in the word of God and I believe in a God of miracles, then I can read these things as the scripture presents them without doubt. Samson captures 300 foxes. He binds their tails together with with torches and sets them loose in the harvest field. Here is a provocation that is going to accelerate the conflict now to epic proportions. What is God doing? What and why is God doing what he's doing? Well, let's take a look back for a moment, if you would. In the previous Judges, The oppression of the enemies always gave rise to a judge. The people would cry out saying, we're under under terrible attack. This is awful affliction. We're being robbed by these people. The Midianites are taking all of our... There was always this outcry to God. If you're the God of heaven, then please come and help us. We've been terrible. We repent. Come, Come and help us. And God would come to their rescue. But now things have advanced to the point of spiritual decline In the Samson story, the Philistines are rulers over Israel, and Israel offers no outcry. God didn't raise, this is important, God did not raise Samson up because the people said, give us a judge. God raised Samson up because he saw his people sliding deeper and deeper and deeper into depravity, into idolatry. The people didn't even ask for a deliverer for a deliverer. This is kind of the old frog in the kettle story where you put the frog in and you you slowly heat the water and the frog will swim all day long until finally he's boiled to death because the water rises so slowly he doesn't even understand what what is happening. He's happy to stay there until it shuts him down. That's kind of the same idea that's carried out here. The people have become so accustomed to the ways of the Philistines They no longer see themselves as God's set-apart people. They have no problem with sin anymore. As a matter of fact, they are probably fully engaged in the sins of the Philistines. They're not uncomfortable even with intermarriage. That Samson's marriage was going to come off so easily simply says that the people had completely lost track of the law, of righteousness, even a consciousness of God. I think it helps us to understand this is why Samson is raised up. God looks upon his people in bondage and his people don't seem to even want to be helped out. Wilcoxon says, and he says this so well, there is no such thing as harmonious coexistence between the church and the world. For where there is no conflict, it is because the world is taken over. Where there is no conflict, it's because the world has taken over. And indeed, that's what happened to Israel. The Philistines have taken over. The Israelites 
are no longer aware of, the Israelites are no longer connected to their identity, to the law, to righteousness. They're going with the flow, and God says, I'm going to disrupt these things. And he raises up Samson. It's as though from the heavens God has said, I am unwilling to sit by and watch you destroy yourselves. And so God sends Samson like a burning torch into a wheat field. The burning of the wheat fields in this Samson inflicts extensive damage to the Philistines. He destroys all of their grain stacked that awaiting removal to storage and standing as well as the vineyards and even olive groves. Their entire agricultural production in the Timna area is wiped out. This operation is, this destroying their economy, this is a declaration of war. And there can be no turning back now. Samson, Samson's going to have to fight the Philistines to the death. The Philistine response to Samson's assault on their economy is the destruction of his wife and her father by fire. The very death that had been promised this girl if she didn't answer Samson's riddle. Do you remember? We covered that last week. She nagged Samson to give her the answer to the riddle because all of her Philistine neighbors had threatened her saying, if you don't get the answer to the riddle, we will burn you with fire. So she's been threatened that time. Now they come because Samson has burned the fields. They say the cause is this woman. The cause is this girl and her father. And the Philistines come and they burn, they burn them to death. So Samson now takes the stakes even higher. And in a way, he seeks to tie off the whole episode with taking vengeance on those who put his wife and father to death. We're given no detail as to how many men how the battle progressed. It simply says he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow. All it tells us is that he did grave damage to them. It kind of creates the superhero image of the Hulk who comes in and with one blow wipes someone out. He doesn't have to stand there and punch it out like a lot of the movies where these guys will pummel each other for five minutes. Samson just takes one swipe and there is so much power in the blow, it just, it just destroys them. Samuel then takes himself out of the picture. The Bible simply says he retreats the cleft of the rock at Etah. It, it seems that perhaps in Samson's thinking, this is what's going on. It seems that he feels he's balanced the scales now. And perhaps now things can return to normal. Well, normal was what God was upsetting in the first place. Normal was the house of Israel living with the Philistines, living like the Philistines, living apart from their own heritage. God had come to completely upset that status quo. It seems that Samson, in doing everything that he has done and with a personal agenda, remember, he's not doing this because he loves God or because he wants to see godly ways instituted among the Israelites. He's doing this because he's been wounded. He's been deeply offended. He's been attacked. And so he feels like now maybe he's balanced the scales and we can just let things be. Well, that doesn't work. In chapter 15, we go on reading in verse 9. Then the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid at Lehi. And the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? Well, this confirms the comfort level Israel felt 
with their subservient position with, with the Philistines. The men of Judah say, why, why, are we, why are we doing this? Why are you encamping against us? Why are we going to war? We got no problem with you. They said, we've come to bind Samson and to do to him as he did to us. So, listen. Then 3,000 men of Judah. So now we're not tracking the Philistines. Now we're tracking Samson's own people. The Danites and, the, and, and Judah lived side by side. Now 3,000 of the men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock at Etam, and they said to Samson, do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? We really get insight here into the mindset of Israel. Don't you know the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, as they did to me, so I've done to them. You see, it was personal for him. Judah saying, why should we suffer the consequences? And now, by the way, Judah is working hand in hand with the Philistines. And they said to him, we have come down to bind you that we may take you into the hands of the Philistines or give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, swear to me that you'll not attack me yourselves. They said to him, no, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two fresh ropes and brought him up from the rock. Now, the imagery here is stunning. Judah, Israel, is so at home with the Philistine occupation that their plan for restoring the status quo is the delivery of their own hero, Samson. They're going to give him into the hands of the Philistines who will most certainly put him to death. Samson agrees to be bound. Now, capture the image. God's wayward people have sold themselves into captivity to the Philistines. They don't go to Samson and ask him to be judge over them, to lead them into battle, to help them cast off the yoke of the Philistines. No, no. they go to Samson to bind him and throw him to the wolves. As much as we despise the moral mess that Samson has become, he's merely a reflection of the heart of the nation of Israel before their God. Israel is a whole nation of Samsons, only without their supernatural strength. They have bound their own champion. Surely, this is one of the lowest moments in Israel's estrangement from God. And next week, we'll take it a little bit further. Now, we're not going to be able to share Easter as we have all of these years together. And my heart grieves over that. There's no Sunday that I enjoy more than Easter Sunday. I love the triumph. I love the shout. I love the music. I love the joy. I love the lights. I love the action and the activity. And I love, I love to preach the Easter message. Everything else is kind of being stripped away from us, but we're left with the message. Oh, we're going to have online, you're going to be able to come here and you're going to be able to, to worship with us and we're going to have, we're going to have great music. And, but really, we're, we're going to be somewhat reduced this year to the word of God. And I think there's something in that for us. 
I believe that even in these dark days, God can turn what the enemy means for evil, and even on Easter Sunday, he can turn it for good. I really believe that there's something great in store for us as we gather, even in a virtual environment, to celebrate the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead. So make your plans now and reach out to your friends and share with them the app and, and, and get them to hook up with us for a wonderful Easter celebration this Sunday morning at 9, at 1045, at 5 p.m. We're looking forward to sharing that day with you. Again, my prayer, the prayer of my heart is for those who are suffering and struggling right now. And an even deeper prayer is, oh Lord, open up the heavens Pour out blessing, blunt this plague that we would soon be able to gather once again and face to face lift up our hearts to give you glory. Father, I pray your blessing over Calvary Church as we are distributed throughout this community in the midst of the, in the, midst of the trouble and the chaos. I pray, Lord, that you would accomplish your will even as you did in the days of the judges. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll look forward to seeing you soon. What a great word from Pastor David. I hope that brought some encouragement to your home today. If this ministry has impacted your life in any way, and you want to partner with us financially to impact the world for the kingdom, you can click the Give button on your screen or go to calvarytriad.com forward slash give. Be sure to stay connected through our church app with sermons, devotionals, youth and kids lessons, and more. Thanks for watching. Have a great week. God bless.